Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. A very, at the first service, I said a very warm good morning. I don't know how's the weather like right now. Is it warmer? <laughs> if it is, a very warm good morning to us nonetheless. And welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Two Sundays ago, when Pastor Darwin preached on Daniel 4 overview, he did explain to us that um, for the chapter on Daniel 4, we would be doing topical preaching. And so this Sunday would be one of the Sundays that we will be focusing on the topical preaching for Daniel chapter 4. Well, a story was told of five-year-old Nick. After two weeks in his K-1 class, one day he went back home with a big compliment. Nick told Grandma that he was the smartest kid in the class. So with a deep sense of pride, Grandma asked Nick, did your teacher say that to you? And then Nick, with a bright smile, said to Grandma, no, Grandma, I had to tell her. <laughs> well, five-year-old Nick is definitely real proud of himself to tell his teacher how smart he is. Real proud, the title for today's sermon. In Daniel 4, we continue to witness King Nebuchadnezzar's pride in action. And if I may describe it, to be the climax of King Nebuchadnezzar's real proud self at work. Yet, it's also interesting how Daniel 4 ended with this earthly king of kings declaring in Daniel 4 verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honour the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. King Nebuchadnezzar had a taste of his own prideful medicine. And having been humbled by God, he finally came to this realisation. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And I believe there is a message for us too, that to be a real disciple of Christ, we cannot be proud because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Shall we commit this time to the Lord in prayer? Teach us your ways, O God. Help us to respond to your voice as we hear you speak to us. And Father, as I bring your word this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as we look at Daniel chapter 4 today, we want to explore how we move from pride to humility. To move from pride to humility, we must look at what pride is and what humility is. What is pride? 
It is looking at self. And what is humility? It is looking to God. And so the first, to move from pride to humility, we must look at what pride is. Pride is looking at self. Bible commentator Yen M. Dugit has this to say, that the eyes of pride are always fixed on myself and my performance. And we see clearly in King Nebuchadnezzar here in Daniel 4. And we will see the pride in him in two ways. First, the pride in Nebuchadnezzar is seen in his self-absorbing. We see that in Daniel 4, verse 4. If you can open your Bible too to read or we can see it from the screen. And I read it from the ESV. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. By this time, King Nebuchadnezzar was at the peak of his reign. The Babylonian Empire was thriving. So was his life. That explains why he was at ease. Or NIV translated it as contented. And he was prospering. NASB translated it as flourishing. So all Nebuchadnezzar could see at this point in time is now that he himself, being the one who accomplished all the prospering and the nourishing. All that he was concerned and know is this I, me, and mine. I, Nebuchadnezzar, in my house, in my palace, self-absorbing. King Nebuchadnezzar's pride can also be seen in his self-exaltation. Dugit has this to say about pride, and I quote, This is exactly what pride is. It locates the self at the center of the universe, glorying in its own achievements and putting everyone else in second place. I think this is so apt to describe King Nebuchadnezzar. And we will see his self-exaltation in verses 29 and 30. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, It's not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal palace and for the glory of my majesty. Well, I call this the climax of King Nebuchadnezzar's self-pride. Such was his self-exaltation. Now you must be wondering just how great is Babylon to warrant such boasting. One amazing fact that we know of Babylon is the hanging gardens of Babylon that King Nebuchadnezzar built for his wife. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And all I remember was I did read about this. King Nebuchadnezzar could never spell his name right. And this hanging garden of Babylon. You know, if I were King Babylon, and if I were to walk and I 
oversee this hanging garden of Babylon, I think I would also pat myself on the shoulder and say, well done, Nebuchadnezzar, you did it so well. I think the only time I said well done to myself was when I fried my first dish of fried rice. I was really proud of it. Well, but that's not all if you think that that's it of Nebuchadnezzar. Old Testament scholar John Golden Gay made this comment. The sense of achievement that Nebuchadnezzar expresses here in verse 30 is seriously understated compared with that expressed in his successive building inscriptions in Babylon. To give perspective to his comment, Nebuchadnezzar's building inscriptions in Babylon according to the book Building Inscriptions of the New Babylonian Empire, written by Professor Stephen Landon. Do you want to guess how many pages occupy that book? 120 pages of text and transcription just on his building inscriptions in Babylon. No wonder Nebuchadnezzar was so awestruck by what he saw before his eyes. The Babylon that I had built. We can't deny the fact that Nebuchadnezzar did have plenty to be proud of and therefore to boast about. But the problem is, he didn't see the pride in himself. His exaltation has even caused him to claim the glory that was due God, who gave him the dominion, power, might, and glory. According to Wendy L. Wilder, another Bible commentator said, God's gifts to King Nebuchadnezzar have now become his source of pride and self-importance. Pride is looking at self. And here, King Nebuchadnezzar's pride can be seen in his self-absorbing. It's all about I, me, and mine. And in his self-exaltation, I myself have built by my power for my glory. And here we ask a question. What caused King Nebuchadnezzar's pride? Two words. Spiritual amnesia. King Nebuchadnezzar has forgotten about God. In Daniel 2, in the interpretation of the first dream, Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel 2, verse 37, that it is God who has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and glory to him. And obviously, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't remember God's word to him. For if he had remembered, God wouldn't have given him the second dream, which we find in Daniel chapter 4, verse 10 to 16. This second dream that we read of it frightened Nebuchadnezzar. And in fact, Daniel's interpretation of the dream further frightened him because God was going to judge him against his pride. The tree that was in the dream, he said in verse 10 to 11, that it is a tree that is in the midst of the earth. The height was great. The tree grew and became strong. The top reached the heaven and it was visible to the end of the earth. Now this tree depicts Nebuchadnezzar's supreme greatness and glory. 
And this is what Daniel said to him, that it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. However, this exalted tree would soon be subjected to the divine chopped down to become a fallen tree. And verse 13 to 14 says, Behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said, Thus to chop down the tree and loop off its branches. God wanted King Nebuchadnezzar to know that he, the holy and most high God, is the ultimate divine sovereign king over the kingdoms of men, and that would include the Babylonian kingdom. Hence, repeated three times in Daniel chapter 4, these words. Verse 17, that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. Verse 24, till you, referring to King Nebuchadnezzar, know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And in verse 32, until you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men. Has Nebuchadnezzar remembered God and his word? Obviously not. Because we look back to verse 29 to 30. Notice the phrase that begins, at the end of 12 months. So it has been 12 months since Daniel interpreted the second dream. In other words, God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months of grace to respond to his word. Sadly, King Nebuchadnezzar's spiritual amnesia persisted. He continued to forget God. He continued to forget God's word. Because if he had remembered God and his word, he wouldn't have made that statement of pride and egotism in verse 30. It's not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. When spiritual amnesia kicks in, that's how pride sets in. When spiritual amnesia kicks in, that's how pride sets in. And we see King Nebuchadnezzar's pride in his self-absorbing and self exaltation. God has a somber reminder to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 11 to 14 that they are to be careful that they do not forget the Lord their God. That in the midst of all the blessings that they have received the Lord warned them when the heart becomes proud one will forget verse 14. So let us take heed that we mustn't forget God, lest our heart becomes proud. For King Nebuchadnezzar, he did finally have a taste of his own prideful medicine, and God had to humble him, we will read in chapter 4, verse 33. We must see the pride in us, which is not easy. It is humbling, to have to see the pride in us. But it is necessary so that we may move from pride to humility. Confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. But I seek to be authentic 
And so I would like to share a little episode of what it means for me to see the pride in me, and which is not easy. In 2007, I joined ETC, which is our current IDMCI. And at that time, the church office was at Bukit Merah. And every Monday was staff devotion. And so the interns have the responsibility to lay chairs before the staff devotion, and then after that, stack them back. So I was actually okay to do this at the beginning. Then a few months later, my heart started to churn. I said to myself, hey, I'm here to learn, not to be a saikang warrior, okay, or minion for those of us who say that people who do minion tasks. Well, I thought I was learning about being a certain kind, but I wasn't ready to be the humble certain kind yet. And then the last straw came when we were told to come down to Bukit Panjang, I still remember, to pack goodie bags for Easter outreach. Now that churning became a really emotional outburst. And I went to my mentor to actually complain, but actually to protest. And I still remember I said this to her, I said, I'm an ETC intern, I'm here to learn, why do I have to do such tasks? I was formerly an HOD. I had staff to do these things. Why am I doing these things? I am here to learn. You must be wondering, Pastor Kat, did you actually say these words? I did. I did because at that time, I was just so absorbed to what I can take out from ETC that I didn't know that I can also be of support to the church staff. Well, my mentor was very loving. She counseled me. First, she told me to look at Christ being the servant, though he was king. And then she asked me this question, what is there to lose if you were to lay chairs and pack goodie bags? I don't know how to answer. And she said this one thing, perhaps this is how God is going to mold your character. I think she's trying to tell me, Kat, you're very proud. Lah. You need to be humble. <laughs> See, her counsel helped me to really reflect and at that moment, I recognized that there was pride in me. And I had to acknowledge that and to thank God that He can mold my character in this way. Very painful, but it's necessary humbling journey for me. You ask me today, will I lay chairs? I will gladly do it. Because James 4 verse 6 tells us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Knowing God will humble the proud, what then should our posture be? Our posture should be that of humility, looking to God. To move from pride to humility, we must look at what pride is and what humility is. First, what pride is. Second, we look at what humility is. It is looking to God. King Nebuchadnezzar shows us pride is looking at self. In his example, pride can be seen in two ways, self-absorbing, self-exaltation. But now let's consider another king, which I thought Yen M. Dugit wrote it so well. This king who was brought down from the heights to the depths, this king could truly have looked out over all creation and said, is not this the world I have created for my royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Yet, instead of exalting himself, this king voluntarily humbled himself. To move from pride to humility, we move from looking at self to looking to God 
we look to this humble king, the God who came down. And I believe we know who this king is. If you can turn your Bible to, to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility is looking to God. It is looking to this humble God who emptied himself and humbled himself. And we are to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We are to follow his attitude in three ways. First, we follow Christ's attitude in status. Verses 6 to 7a tells us that he, though in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Christ being in the very nature God and is equal to God. This status is rightfully his. Yet he chose to empty himself. He chose to disregard his rightful and eternal status. What does it mean for us? to follow Christ's attitude. is that we have to first recognize that the earthly status, titles and positions that we have are not truly ours. They are not permanent either. And we may lose them someday. So if Christ has disregarded his eternal and rightful status, how much more than should we disregard our human and earthly titles? I heard this from a Pastor, if we don't have any titles or positions, don't seek after them. If we do have, don't hold on to them. Or rather, don't let them hold us. Whether we have or don't have them, keep dying to self on a daily basis. How does it feel to be nameless? Some years back, I chanced upon a trivia about the movie Ben-Hur, the 1959 version. And this actor, who played the role of Jesus Christ, went uncredited in his only featured film role because he never spoke. And it is true. The role of Jesus in this movie neither spoken nor have his face shown. So this actor was literally faceless and nameless in this award-winning movie. And so that set me thinking, is it okay for me to be nameless? Well, the test soon came after. A team of covenant pastors, we went to Philippines for a conference and we were assigned to preach in churches. And I was assigned to a very small church. And then on that Sunday, as different ones were sending pictures of the churches that they were in, my heart started to churn. I think at the end of today, you realise that, hey, Pastor Kat, your heart churns a lot. Huh? <laughs> God, God, why did you assign me to a small church? And at that time, I had two members with me, but they would not be there to take photos because they were engaged in other activities. And all this was happening before the start of the preaching. And it was at that time that God reminded me of himself, incidentally through Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. And he asked me this question, Kat, are you okay to be nameless for me? I knew that moment the Lord was working through 
my sense for significance, my need for significance, my need for status. And after much struggle, I said to him, Yes, Lord, I'm okay to be nameless for you. When the preaching started, surprisingly, that churning went off. And throughout the time, my heart was just so full of thanksgiving that it was such a privilege to bring God's word to his people. If we don't have any titles or positions, don't seek after them. Whether we have or don't have, keep dying to self on a daily basis. We follow the humble God, follow his attitude towards status. Second, we follow Christ's attitude in servanthood. Verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He reached out to the down and out. He preached the gospel. He even washed the feet of his disciples. Jesus came, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Not to be served, but to serve. Imagine with me, what will happen if everyone wants to be served? Then, no one would be served. But if everyone wants to serve, the result would be, everyone would be served. Therefore, just as Jesus has demonstrated for us what humble servanthood is, to serve and not to be served, will we follow after his footsteps and serve one another wherever God places us? Finally, we follow Christ's attitude in surrendering. Verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus' obedience to the point of death, even death on the cross, was his act of surrender to God to do his will. To follow Christ's attitude is for us to be ready to surrender to God to do his will. It is in that humility that we say to God, not my will, but yours be done. It is in the humility that we echo the words of John the Baptist in John 3.30, He must increase, but I must decrease. Humility is looking to God. It is looking to this humble God. It is looking to this Jesus who emptied himself and humbled himself. It is to have the same attitude that Christ had, that we may empty and humble ourselves in status, in servanthood, and in surrendering. True humility looks away from myself to heaven. True humility recognizes not only that I am nothing, but also that God is everything. Quote, Yen M. Dilgit. We move from pride to humility by moving from looking at self to looking to God. We look to the God who emptied himself and humbled himself. As I bring the sermon to a close, I would like to conclude with one picture that speaks of this one man. I'd like to invite the worship team to come. This one picture speaks of this one man, Jesus Christ. This Jesus washes the feet 
of his disciples. To me, this is an ultimate demonstration of servanthood. He demonstrated so in love and in humility. Jesus loved his disciples to the end. Jesus even washed the feet of the one who betrayed him. This Jesus is also the Jesus who gave his life on the cross. This God who came down to be amongst mankind and he took the most shameful execution though he has done no wrong. All for our sake that we may receive his redemptive grace. And this can happen only because Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. To see the pride in us, we have to see the humility of God. Jesus, who emptied himself and humbled himself. And Dugit has summed it well for us in this quote. This vision of the crucified and exalted Jesus is itself the cure for our overweening pride. How can we exalt ourselves and continue to sing our own praises when our eyes are fixed on Jesus? How can we exalt ourselves and continue to sing our own praises when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, this Jesus who emptied himself and humbled himself. Brothers and sisters, today, let us lift our eyes towards heaven and see this humble God. Come and see this humble God, the servant king, who has calling us to follow him, to follow his footsteps of humility. Today, my brothers and sisters, I just humbly come before you to ask us two questions. Is there a little Nebuchadnezzar in us, whether known or unknown, big or small, that we need to dethrone from our life today? Are we suffering from spiritual amnesia where we forget God and replace Him with the I, me, and mine in our endeavours in life. Today, God is calling us to come and look to Him, the humble God. For to see the pride in us, we have to see the humility of God. He who has emptied Himself. He who has humbled Himself. And how are we to respond as we look to this humble king? We cannot continue to sing our own praises and exalt ourselves when our eyes are fixed on this Jesus. And there is only one thing we can do. And that is to come before this humble king in human, in very humble adoration. And in that contriteness, that we may lay down those little Nebuchadnezzars at the foot of the cross, so that He, the Most High God, 
can be enthroned in our life so that He must increase and I must decrease. Brothers and sisters, even as I bring this before you, I'm also checking my own heart. Do I have a little Nebuchadnezzar in my heart that I need to dethrone today? Can I say to my humble king, you must increase and I must decrease. As we look to this humble God, may we truly indeed yield ourselves and follow his example to empty and humble ourselves just as our Lord Jesus, the servant king, has done so that we may follow his footsteps. Let us pray. Is there a little Nebuchadnezzar in our life that we need to dethrone today? Is there that spiritual amnesia today we recognize that we need to also come before God and say, God, I'm sorry. Today are we able to say, God, I will lay down this little Nebuchadnezzar so that you, O Most High God, can be enthroned in my life once again. That I will be able to say, God, you increase and I decrease. I know you'll be a struggle for us and I struggle too. But today, if this is the first step that you will seek to take to walk in that path of humility as our Lord Jesus has done, would you, where you are, just quietly stand in that contriteness, in that desire to say, God, I lay down. I lay it down today. This little Nebuchadnezzar and I want to enthrone you once again as the king in my life. And for some of us today, you say, God, I will follow after your footsteps. Give me strength and grace to know what it means to yield to you, to know what it means to empty and humble myself, be it in my status, be it in servanthood, be it in my surrendering. That today, God, give me that strength and that bonus to take that very first step to say, God, I want to follow your footstep. And if that is you today, you say, I want to yield to know what it means to empty myself, to humble myself. God, help me. Would you stand? That we stand before a God who loves us, who demonstrated for us what humility is. And that is why today we say we want to look to you, our humble King, and we learn from you. Father, we recognize you are the most high God. We acknowledge your greatness and sovereignty. Forgive us for the times that we have built that little Nebuchadnezzar in our life. Forgive us for the times when we have forgotten you. Forgive us if we have replaced you with the I, me and mine in our endeavours in life. Today, Lord, we humbly ask for your forgiveness. And we invite you once again to be the King and Lord in our life. Guard our hearts, O oh God, that we may not forget you. Jesus, we thank you for demonstrating the ultimate act of love and humility, death on the cross. 
Thank you for showing us what it means to live in humility. Today, God, we yield ourselves to you, O humble God. Teach us, guide us, so that we may follow your footsteps to walk on this path of humility. Let me decrease, O Lord Jesus, so that you may increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall all of us stand and let's worship God with this song, The Servant King. some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.